This is Raga Matrix America. Welcome everybody to the show. This is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com, joined uh, happily by everyone now with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And Bruce, we're happy to report that you are safe and uh, haven't been floated out to the Atlantic Ocean thanks to the storm. Yeah, I will tell you, Alex, though, um, as much as that, you know, probably said half tongue in cheek, I do got to say that uh, there was some serious devastation and mm-hmm. uh, people from the, from the Monmouth Rugby Club, um, they, a lot of, a lot of those guys were, were left homeless. A lot of those guys were left without power. A lot of those guys were left in devastated communities and the people from the Rockaway Rugby Club who were right around Breezy Point where all those houses burned out and, and and the Bell Harbor and Rockaway area and Long Beach, it was it was absolute carnage. I have never ever seen devastation from a storm like that in my life in New York. And I gotta say that being without power, which happens to me quite a bit, is you know it, it usually is a bit of a nuisance and that it's hot out. But I was fortunate not to lose power. But um, people who lost power and 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 it was really cold, and they had families, and it was bitter, and it was, and it and and a lot of people are still without power, and a lot of people without homes, and a lot of people are not going back to homes. So if you can, you know, people can say a little bit of a prayer or something. Um, I know that you don't think about New York City or. A, surrounding areas is somewhere this kind of thing can happen this, this was some bad stuff that happened on the uh on the east coast so if you have anything in you to say a few prayers or you know, i'd like to thank kevin from uh kevin sullivan from rucking insurance that uh he's been very generous and as have a lot of people in the rugby community have gone out but xavier rockaway in particular and monmouth rugby club in particular got very, very badly hit. Other ones had inconveniences due to lack of power and other things, but those clubs got crushed, man. It was pretty bad. Well, we're, you know, we were, it's good news. Any good news is good news. Um, Rockaway, you know, boy, those guys would probably be working on the fire trucks, wouldn't they? Most, most of those guys or a good chunk of those guys are firefighters. And so they'd probably be working on fire trucks on their own houses. Yeah, no, no. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it's, uh, yeah, that's, you know, they, 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 they are, and they are good people and, and they, they, they are, they, it, it's a, it's indescribable, very seldom am I at a loss for words, um, the situation in, in New York puts you at, at kind of a loss for words, I mean, as, as far as, you know, the devastation, you know, we have spoken about it. A lot of people have, is this worse than 9-11? I think from a mental standpoint, no, but from from an actual carnage standpoint, yeah. Long, long-term long problems. It's not one terrible thing and then, you know, that's it. It's, we, we've still, as we speak, there's still a bunch of problems going on. And I will say that, you know, the whole community has definitely stepped up with the, of course, the rugby community 
is always very good about uh, being very very generous with their time and 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 their resources and anything they can do. Uh, you know, like I said, very seldom am I at a loss for words. This has absolutely was a was a difficult, difficult thing. If if you can say a prayer, I would uh would appreciate it. Yeah, we definitely all want want to. Okay, well, uh, Pat, um, you weren't hit by a storm, so you're doing all right, and we're uh, getting ready to talk some rugby. That's right. I was not hit by a storm, so uh, I've witnessed my fair share of stuff around here, right in the Midwest, Tornado Alley. Uh, almost 200 people killed last year by a tornado. Um, that sort of stuff happens, and I'm all too familiar with yeah. it. But I'm, I'm I'm glad that Bruce is all right, and I'm I'm seeing Facebook updates from Pat Maroney, the coach of Monmouth, and he seems to be all right, and his clan seems to be okay. And and then the more that are okay, the better. Well, we will be right back on Rugged Matrix America, and we'll be talking about the U.S. national team going to Europe. And we will return on Rugged Matrix America. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Rugged Matrix America and RugbyMag.com. And we all know it takes grit and determination just to get to the edge of a rugby pitch. And it takes even more courage drive and passion to lock arms with your teammates and rise to the challenge and play in a game at Lauer Family Wines. They know that too. They have a passion for rugby and a passion for wine and that passion collides in their Hooker Wines line from Napa Valley steeped in the tradition, teamwork and heroism of the game and their drive inspires them to create wines that honor those who chase their passions in rugby and elsewhere in life. Get in the match and buy Hooker Wines online at hookerwines.com well, we're back on Rugged Matrix America, and we'd like to thank our sponsors who are supporting this show, USA 7s and the Las Vegas Invitational. Don't forget to go to usa7s.com. Check all that out. Rugby Imports, rugbyimports.com, everything you need to get yourself out. Also, the rugby site, which is a rugby coaching site. You really should check it out. It's fascinating. And Hooker Wines. Well, we're looking ahead now. Here we are in the early parts of November. We're looking ahead to the USA national team playing a three-match tour in Europe. Uh, it's it's three Tier 2 nations, three nations they should be able to beat. Uh, not that they're guaranteed to beat them, but that's uh, that's the plan. November 9 against Russia, which is a Friday, and then uh, November 17 against Tonga, and then November 24 in Bucharest against Romania. And we've got the squad. They're in camp. They're in uh, Cowan Bay, Wales, training. Um, and and first of all, first impressions. Bruce, what's your impression about this team and their prospects? I think that they're in a, an interesting space in that they can win three games and that they can lose three games. And I think that coming out of it with a with three and all would be ideal. I think two and one would be what we would expect. Uh, I think that you should expect to beat Russia. You should expect to beat Romania. And then you should, um, you know, you, you could beat Tonga, but you know, that, that could go either way. Um, I think that the team, I don't know how much better up front than, uh, than they are from where they were in June. I, I think that's a, that's could be a big problem. Uh, I think their first 15 is strong outside of possibly whether their front row can cope. But if their front row copes, then their first 15 is strong. I, 
probably would be very nervous about the bench. I am, would be very nervous that so many players from an extremely disappointing ARC performance have, have made the team. So I'd be a little bit nervous about how they're going to perform at the next level. They may or may not perform well. Um, so I, I'm guardedly optimistic, but I think that they're going to need their major players to play a major role in their success. It would be interesting to see how Biller pulls up not having played much. I would expect that Doyle and Stanfield will do well. I would expect that Lavala and and Clever will do well. I would expect Petri and Shaw to play well. Uh, Toby Lestrange will see. He hasn't played really since June, but he's been training a lot. I, I, I think he'll go pretty well, um, depending on how he keeps his nerves in check. I would imagine that Sunil and Emmerich will go reasonably well and that they've been playing. And I would imagine that Hume and, and, and Wiles and, uh, and Naguanya will go well. I just don't know what's coming in behind it, whether or not there's you know, a couple injuries here or there or some strategic substitutions, things of that nature. I, I think that the platform is going to be important. So, you know, the scrummage platform, the, the restart platform, and the lineout platform, and, and hopefully Biller is, is is feeling his accuracy. They have the ability to be really good. They really do. And they, uh, but they also have the ability to go on three. Okay. I'll, I'll let uh, Pat come in. Pat, anything that surprised you about this squad? There's definitely some surprise selections. Um, you know, I look at Chris Chapman. I didn't, I wasn't, from what I got to see of the ARC, was not overly impressed with him. Um, same with Cornelius Dirksen, who I've seen play numerous times. Um, never thought to myself, he's an angle wing, but, um, you know, he's in the mix. Uh, McDonald, the, the kid from Ireland, I can understand why he's in the mix. Always did at fly half um, and always looking for a kicker. But he certainly, I would have thought, kicked him way out, kicked his way out of, you know, contention for a kicking job uh, in the ARC. Um, but I can understand he's a young guy, um, has some good athleticism to him, um, and has played a lot of rugby. So I, I can understand keeping him there. But I, I am a little bit scared by some of the, um, lack of depth. I, I would say that the first 15 or what, what I could put together as the first 15 is actually really pretty strong. Um, but I am a little surprised by the lack of depth and maybe some of the lack of, you know, we don't have, I, I get Mate Mokiola may not be the most you know, fit, healthy guy ever. Um, but when I look at some of the props that are coming along on this trip, uh, I think that we could use Mate in, in the latter 20 minutes of a game or um, his experience uh, in the pack, certainly to help us win some games. Um so yeah, a little bit, a little bit scared um, in terms of that. But you know, when I look at the back three, now that we got Nguyenia back in the fold, um, which I'm surprised to see he's there, I think this might be the most dangerous back three I've seen since I've been paying attention to the Eagles, which uh, you know been a handful of years now, I suppose. But um, I thought I would say the same thing about James Patterson being involved in the Rugby World Cup, um, you know, being back there with Wiles and with Nguyenia. But Patterson wasn't exactly healthy, so I don't know that we've ever seen a full. Uh, potential of Patterson, but I think that's an exciting back three. I really like Doyle and Stanfield together um, in the locks, maybe not the tallest second row of all time, but guys that can tackle, will tackle, and, and are good ball carriers. Um, and the other really scary thing is I love Clever. I love Lavala. 
but I don't like the fact that a seven is a place where we have a question mark as to who's going to play it. That's kind of scary. Yeah, I, I I would say we do have a question mark there. Uh, the, you know, you know who doesn't seem to be getting any, any love from you guys is uh, Sean Pittman and Eric Fry up front, and I don't see why that's uh, suddenly become uh, well, not suddenly, but that emphasizes an area of weakness. And I, I realize we're worried about the scrum. And we all know that the scrum is not just uh, uh, prop. But Eric Fry has been playing for the Manawatu uh, Turbos down in what used to be called the NPC. Could we just stop? Yeah. How could we not say that the scrum is not an area of concern? I didn't say it was an area of concern. No, you're the one who said, you know, we're not giving a pass what goes up front. I mean, the fact of the matter is they haven't performed. We hope that they that what they've done will bring them to a point that they can perform and that they will perform. But to sit and act like that, there have been some amazing scrummage performances. <laughs> this would just be would be would no. Be I, didn't, I didn't say I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything of the sort. All I said was, this, yeah, the the scrum is an issue, but it's not the only issue. And we've we both of you guys essentially went right by those two players. Uh, let me can I... as if as if they're not as, as if they're not there. And and no, and truth be told, it... truth be told, Bruce. Truth be told, Bruce, that you you've you've been pretty harsh in my opinion on Sean Pittman, which is fine. You you have every right to be so, but you you kind of put it on him an awful lot, and and he's been preparing himself and he's actually gone and found some place to play and been working on it. Eric Fry's been working on it. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm saying they've actually been putting themselves in a position I, to be better. I totally agree with you. And I actually think that Sean can be an effective blue set. I was I was definitely hard on Sean and 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 he is a really nice guy and 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 I and I would say that you know it could be hard on on, on Eric Fry as well. And and that's and that's true. But the fact is, more so with Sean and that he's been in the system for a long time. And I think that he'd be better at scrummaging than he was. That was my main criticism there. And I think that, you know, maybe now he's taken that to heart, not not necessarily from me, but that, that he's taken more seriously the craft of scrummaging. I think Eric Fry has definitely taken seriously, more seriously, the craft of scrummaging. I know what I would have had them doing, but I don't know what they have been doing. My biggest concern for the scrum or for the front row wasn't with those guys, per se. It was so much with the Nick Wallaces, with the guys that got just completely pushed around at the ARC that we are seeing here as backups. I think Monte would be a good addition on this three-game tour as a comparison to some really questionable guys that we've got listed in here that could be propping as well. Uh, okay, fair enough. I don't. I wouldn't call them really questionable, but we've got an issue in the scrum. We know that that's not an issue. And we've got an issue in the scrum uh, at, with the backups of second row as well, right? Um, now, we, we look at that starting 15. You talk about the starting 15. It looks to be probably Eric Fry, Chris Biller, and Sean Pittman up front. I don't think we expect anything more than that. Uh, Lou Stanfield and Brian Doyle are almost certainly in the second row. Scott Lavalle at six, Todd Clevert at eight. Robbie Shaw is going to start the first game. Mike Petrie is going to start the next two. Toby Lestrange at fly half. 
the wings Hume and Gwenya, the centers Andrew Suniola and Paul Emmerich, Chris Wiles at fullback. Uh, of the backups, Roland Suniola is uh, an extremely capable backup, and I don't think that's a drop-off at all. Um, I disagree with you, uh, Pat, on, on Cornelius Dirksen. I, I liked what I saw of him in the ARC, but I did feel that Chris Chapman struggled. So what are we going to do there? What what kind of players are we going to see backing up the rest of the backs? We don't know. The bi- And the big question is number seven, open side flanker. And, and Bruce, you know Mike Tolkien uh, better than anybody. Mike Tolkien wants a pure number seven. Is it John Quill? Is it Inaki Basari? Is it Peter Dahl? Is it Derek Asbin, who could also, who's been looking at a hooker and now we're looking at a back row, possibly? Um, are are any of those players? Do the, do any of those players jump out at you as, oh, that's Mike's guy? That's the type of guy he loves. I think that he's actually mentioned all of them to me as possibilities. Not, not so much Anaki as a seven, but that would probably give him the flexibility to move Louis out into the uh into the back row where i think he would be a little bit happier um uh he you know i I think that uh aspen is is an interesting possibility probably not a whole lot different than quill um part of part of me says why did why did the boston rugby club only beat boston irish 30 to 16 or 30 to 14 with Papora and Quill in the pack, you just would have thought that they would have been able to wipe them up a little bit better. Maybe it threw out a few uh, things, that, you know. I, you know, and then the, the ARC performances. I, if he took Dahl, it says to me like you almost got to play him. I would be. They got to be strangling themselves to James Denise on this team, strangling themselves. No, I, now, I okay, think that, all right. I think that, no, let, let me interrupt you here, James Denise. Now, James Denise plays for you at, at New York Athletic Club. James Denise, is that James just, Denise had a foreign accent. He'd have ten caps. He does have a foreign accent. He's from what Brooklyn? He's from New Jersey. But if James Denise had a foreign accent, he'd have ten caps. Same as Dan Payne would have had many more caps if he had a foreign accent. Fact of the matter is, he doesn't. And he doesn't. And I know that there was a question on his fitness last year at camp, but the reality is he had a pulled hamstring and a messed up shoulder and they had him do a fitness test, which I thought was irresponsible on the part of the Eagles. But based on play this year, I mean, form in general, there was no better forward in America than James Denise. You know, it's just a, a quick look at the historical rosters of the USA team and it's uh... – the back rows uh, since well, 2003 even uh, have been really heavily United States-born players, United States-trained players. So I don't think I buy that. Uh, the foreign accent thing for both Dan Payne, who's a great player, uh, or James Denise, really. This is, he is the best. There is no one better. He is a guy you want on your team. Like I said, maybe he's a little bit different. But... James Denise, you want that guy in your team. You know, and I look at, I don't know how the hell they could take a Zach Fonoglio as a possibility over Connor Coyne. 
Finoglio, Finoglio is, is a very good player. Finoglio is not Connor Coyne. I'm just, I mean, he's a very good player. That's great. It's not Connor Coyne. It's just not. I would argue, no. I think that Alex would maybe was getting on the verge of making this point, but I think Finoglio can scrum. Uh, I mean, he can, he can prop in a pinch too. And I think that may be a part of the reason why he's on this team. Um, and I, I think that his flexibility is, a, is, is valuable. Oh, I'm not hey, saying look, there's no question. No, there's no question. Hey, look, all I got, all I'm saying is that it is, it's very difficult to say that you're going into a test series with confidence taking people who haven't played well in an ARC series. That's all I'm really saying. It yeah, wasn't well, a hit, they scored one try. There's, there's nothing you can't, you can't get around that, right? Yes, we, I we, mean, we're talking about a three-game series where they scored 14 points. Yeah, and and, and, and uh, one we, try, and one try on a on yeah, a essentially try. a lucky break, and he didn't get picked. Yeah, um, he didn't get picked. So that wasn't a lucky break. Eric Dushel earned every bit of that break. It was a great it was a great play, and it was a great great. Play. He didn't get picked, so he's he's out of the equation. Sure. So you know, take that away, and the other guy who played tough was Craig Well, and he's out of the equation. So. Like, then. Okay, all right. So, so I wanted to ask you both guys. Uh, you know, who did who do you want to see on this squad that's not here, that's not been picked? Um, and and uh, you know, a little bit joking, but a little bit serious, because of Bruce, I was going to ask you some pick somebody who's not on a on the AC. Uh, you just named two, um, and uh, and and Pat. Is there somebody you really wish to have seen on this team? The one guy I'll bring up is, and I don't know where he is or what he's doing exactly, but Sentatui Lavuka. The guy has never gotten a fair shake with the Eagles. He got a little bit before the World Cup, um, but then there was, you know, issues about does he can he get back in the country? What's his visa situation? I like that spelled out for me because I think the guy uh, at the time was between him and Mike Palafau when he was playing in Vegas with one of the two best backs in the country period domestically. And I think the, you know, the guy's played in the top 14, but we can't find a way to work him into an Eagle situation. Um, I think that's really disappointing. And I thought that this fall tour would have been a good opportunity to try and do it. So there may be an issue that I don't, I'm unaware of, um, but he's the guy that I'm really disappointed. We keep going to battle without, or at least trying to go with him. Um, outside of that, there's no, I don't no glaring guy that I say, where the heck is he? Um, I, I do think Inaki should be more consistent. I really like the, um, the the option that Bruce was talking about that he discussed with Mike about. Uh, I like Inaki as a back row player, um, but he can also bump into the second row. And I really like Louis Stanfield as a back row player. So for my money, I could put Louis at eight and, and, and Todd at seven. So I think Inaki should be considered more uh, of a, a solid Starting guy, I'd like to see that. I don't know, but guys that got completely left off this team, the only one that could come to mind outside of Seta is, is Miles Craigwell. And, and Miles Craigwell can tackle. He misses. He makes every tackle. He doesn't have that afterburning speed, but he's also not five foot eight and a hundred and nothing like Cornelius Dirksen. Craigwell, I I would have loved to have seen him on this team. Now there are, there are a couple of other guys who are not on here, and there, there are reasons outside of. He, they weren't picked. Uh, Samuel Manoa is not on the team. Uh, there's uh, contract issues and stuff like that that's going on. Um, Manoa could be a game changer on this. You put Manoa in the second row and move Stanfield out, or you keep Stanfield in the second row and you put Manoa at eight, um, seeing 
Seeing Manoa do an eight-man pick, he is really imposing and put Clever at seven. I would love to see that. Uh, Cam Dolan, I thought, had a lot of good things going on for him. Hurt himself. He's not there. The only um, reason I didn't mention Manoa, by the way, is because I knew his situation why he was out. Right. I've got, I've got, right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, uh, un, understood uh, on that. And, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of other players like Blaine Scully just coming back from injury. Uh, Taylor Mokate was injured, although I, I'm not sure he played particularly well in the ARC. Um, there are a few little things that have that have made it happen that we've got basically 18 players who are frontline and about 10 players who are not frontline on on this squad. Um, what I'm concerned about on this team, forget about the, the scrum, what about fly half? Toby Lestrange is probably going to be the starting fly half. He has never played for the USA before. Bruce, you just said he's really not been playing much. He's been training, been training hard, and he's been training with Mike Petrie. That's great. Is this an enormous risk that could manifest itself in simply a case of uh, dropped balls, a couple of missed assignments, and uh, an unfortunate or embarrassing scoreline because of that. Always the best fly half in America. Clear cut choice, not even close. He's fine. He'll be fine. Okay. The um, and you know when when you look at some of the players who possibly missing, I, I think that you you definitely you got to seriously say based on who they took in the backs. I'm not saying that. Is it you got to seriously look at say a Tui Osborne, who had, who had played really well. I mean, uh, Palafau was with the sevens, but you got to seriously look at that, you know, and 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 how that situation played out. You make a good point, pro- Bruce, because we've we've talked about and we've heard from from Tolkien that he wants to win and win now, and he, every game's about winning and putting out the best team. And Tui is still, yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. and and he is. I mean, he really is a fantastic player, and. And, and and I don't necessarily look at things in terms of the World Cup. I mean, if they, if they plan on going to the World Cup with this group in the front row, the, you know, the, the seven or eight guys that they took, you know, I, I, there's there's a few of them that I would keep. But I, I something tells me that, that that's going to change over time. There's a guy who called me the other day and said, I've been playing rugby again, and I'm really loving it, and I want to be on your team in the spring. And that's Troy Bartley, who is – not even close. It isn't even, there's nobody as good as him. Nobody as good as him. And, you know, so I probably would have wanted to see him there if for nothing to help somebody else get good. Um, so, and, you know, and, and, and as you, as you go around, I, I think that they do have serious injury situations. I, I do think that, uh, you know, the way, how would you play Manoa or or Harriman is pretty good. There's a, there's a guy named Moto who's an under-20 player who's at Spearhead Academy. He's about 6'2". Uh-huh. He, he's down to about 240 now. Um, he is the real McCoy. He is all of it. And he's starting to grow in confidence and gain in stature. So he wanted to go with a young team. I probably would have. Looked at a guy like that. Um, they they have a second row at Spearhead, who's about six six. His name escapes me, and 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 he's another twenties uh, player. 
that I I probably would I probably would have looked in that direction as far as physicality and and hardness athleticism and 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 the one thing you can say about a, say a spearhead guy is that they're committed to excellence and I think it stinks that we don't we're not able to have a Seamus Kelly or a or a Will Holder or things like that due to schooling and um. I'm sure that there's probably another five or six others that we're missing out on due to schooling. So a lot of factors play into why this team isn't at full strength at a, uh, but I do think that they're capable in, in, in the first 15, maybe the first 17 or 18. I do think that they're capable through, they're all capable. I mean, Quill's a really good player. There's no question he's a good player. There's no question Anaki can play. There's no question that, you know, I, I, I still would have, I'd have my, my reservations about, say, Wallace and Fernoglio and, and in the event that you got into a tight scrummage game. But if you were in an open game that was a lot like rugby league and, and you were a lot of lineouts, penalty, quick taps, and things of that nature, it's just if you get into a scrummage match, I, I think that they get, they get outmatched. But those guys are actually pretty good rugby players as far as the rugby goes. And while I would like to see Connor Coyne on the team, I just, I look at it in terms of Connor went to the last, you know, the last tour. And, and the thing was, he wasn't throwing well or in in international things, you get two or three throws. And if you miss the first two, I, I coach line outs differently. I, I want them to make the correct decision in terms of the call. And I think the throw will come. It takes a timing issue. It takes time. So he was never going to get picked anyway, because um, you got to just work with that, and which is fine, you know, it's their own prerogative. A couple of things. First of all, uh, I think you may be talking about uh, Telly Vea Matsahau uh, at Spearhead, big boy of uh, with the U twenties. U twenties actually talking has... about somebody at Spearhead. It's a name I can't pronounce. Correct, correct, um, and and, and the U twenties. Remember that that the U twenties team. Is a pretty darn good U20s team, and there's a bunch of guys coming out of that. Cameron Falcon, Mike Teo, uh, you know, Travis Whitlock. Uh, this just just to name a couple. Uh, Will McGee, uh, Madison Hughes, of course. And Iki Falasuli uh, might be a guy I would take over. I, and Iki Falasuli. Hey, can, can, exactly. can I say? I will say one thing. And 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 you know, sometimes you got to take a lot of the things that we say in terms of players with a grain of salt. And now we yeah. haven't seen them. And also. The step up from the 20s to a full international is, while it may be a, different in another, it, it's it's still a very, very massive step up. It's, it is a massive step up in South Africa and New Zealand, too. But, like, they have that next tier of NPC to, to Super 15 to, to, uh, to the All Blacks. And... It, it is still a real massive step up for our players to come out of the 20s and be be full internationals. However, it they're capable of doing it, and especially the guys who put themselves in an environment that is it's a daily thing. You got to look and like I look at guys who go to life as more valuable. I look at guys who go to spearhead as more valuable. I look at guys who go to – so you can even say that they're more valuable than, say, when I say Connor or Denise from the AC. They're less valuable. 
because they're not in a daily environment, so it's different. Or if they're going to Cal or to BYU or to, when you're putting yourself out there to be in a daily environment that can give you excellence on a daily basis, then then you, to me, become a more valuable commodity. That leads to something else I wanted to talk about in terms of the jump from club rugby to international, and we'll talk about that when we come back on Rugby Matrix America. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Yeah, we're back on Rugby Matrix America with Alex Goff, Bruce McLean, and Pat Clifton. We were leading into something. We were talking about the jump from... U-20s to uh, international. What about the jump from club rugby to international? Just like with from U-20s, it takes a special person. And sometimes a special, a, a, a great player, a great person doesn't make it. And and your your discussion of Denise and James Denise is great and, and, and a really good interview and, uh, and nothing against him personally. Dude, and, I, you know what? If you think he is such a great interview then I want you to interview him and I want you to put it on the air. He may be, he may be a great interview on the phone where you're writing what he said. Right. I don't know. I don't know how great of an interview he'd be on the air. Oh no. Well, that would be different. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. We have done the good club seven that we want to play on the national team. And we've seen a lot of them fall flat. People who have been, uh, repeatedly been touted as the best in the country and they fall flat because the requirements on the international level are just flat different. So we're always looking for, not just for the best available, but for somebody special. Um, changing tack just a little bit then, and you mentioned about this, Bruce, before, so I'll, come, I'll circle back to you. How do we come out of this, Pat? Do we win all three? Do we win two, one? What happens? Your prediction, your thoughts. Depends on health. Uh, I think if we stay healthy, like I said, I really like the starting 15 we actually have. Um, I, I, that The caveat being there with Robbie Shaw, I've never seen Robbie Shaw play a rugby game in my entire life. So I have no idea what to expect from him. Um, but if he can be, you know, better than, uh, you know, if he can play – uh, serviceably get the ball out and, and, and clean ball and maybe not be dynamic with the ball in hand, that's fine. So it, Robbie Shaw aside, I actually really like the 15 that we have. I really like the grittiness and the toughness of the forwards we have. Um, they're going to start. I think Sean Pittman and Eric Fry are be having a chance to get to play together um, repeatedly and often and over and over again, which I think is really, really important. Um, and I think that there's a lot of experience there. The back line the, the midfield's the exact same um, in terms of uh, Sudiula and, and Emmerich as it has been. Wiles is the same as it has been. And Gwynion is the same as it has been. I think Hume is an upgrade over some of the guys we've seen on the wing. Um, and definitely it has an electricity and X factor that we've not seen there um, from anybody besides Z and Gwynia. Um And I think that I'm going to have to take Bruce's word that Toby can play. And if Toby can play, that gives us a guy at 10 who can play um, – yeah, that we haven't had in a minute. And if we can get actually spread the ball out to some of our danger on the side, um, you know, in the, in the backs, then I actually like our chances. So my expectation 
is that we go out there and we win three games. And my hope would be that we would win three games. I think that we can. Um, but that that said, if we lose one player, I think if we lose anybody in the back three, that's going to be a big downgrade no matter who comes in. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we lose Toby at 10. We know we've got Roland coming in, and he's played there. But uh, I don't think anybody's going to be jumping up and down about how great he's played there. So, uh, and obviously we've got a lot of depth issues all over the field. So if we stay healthy, three and zero, I think is absolutely attainable and should be the the mark. Um, anything other than three and zero, if we stay healthy, should be considered um, less than optimally successful. So I, I won't accept a loss to Tonga is okay if, if we've got the fifteen that we can out on the field. Less than optimally successful, <laughs> Bruce. Bruce, what do you think? I, I would I would think they're going to go two and one. That would be you know my my smart money prediction. Um, I think they should beat Russia. I think that they should beat Romania, and I think that they're going to struggle to beat Tonga, but they could. Um, Robbie Shaw is somebody that Petri greatly respects and feels that he is very capable of taking that nine jersey away from him and and is more fearful of him as a player than really anybody else um, at this juncture. Not to say that they can't develop into taking that spot away, but Patrick has the utmost respect for Robbie. So I'm not too worried about how Robbie's going to perform. Certainly not worried about how Toby's going to perform. I think he's going to go well. Uh, the good thing, you know, while we while we talk about Eric Fry and uh, and and Sean Pittman and as props and front row players, one of the things we, we also got to remember is that they they're both back row players initially, which means that they're actually very capable of possibly jumping in the lineout, which could make our lineout very potent at least in attack and in a windy in a windy place is going to be a lot of lineouts. So there's, they're gonna, we're going to have a lot of options, and we should consistently have ball one relatively well there because, again, those guys can jump. And I think that, I think that when, when push comes to shove in, in, at the seven position, it's probably going to be up to, to Quill and, and Dahl. I, I, I do think that you may be surprised in seeing – has been starting. I, I would not expect Anaki to start, but who knows? I would. Uh, but I, 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 you, I could, I could conceivably see a, a 30-30-20 situation in the seven spot. I, Mike's not a huge. He's not a huge subber. He's not a huge subber. So that would. But they're all very similar. So it's not like you're losing anything. Like they're all the same guy. You're putting in the same size guy who does the same crap. So. You could yeah. always have a set of fresh legs there, and and you almost with with Asman, you get kind of a free guy, like you get that free back row front row guy. Like well, the AC would do that a lot. We'd have a guy at six who also played in the front row, so that That's our fifth front row was kind of. So we always got that extra forward. You always kind of had an extra guy on the bench. It was almost like cheating. So that's what Aspen gives you. He gives you the ability to almost cheat so that you're those 23 guys, one of those front row players can actually pop out and go and, and play somewhere else. So that's pretty good stuff. So th th there's a lot of good things in this team. It's just 
going to be a matter of can they scrummage. If they scrummage, they're going to do well. If they scrummage, I say 3-0. and My thing is I don't know it, if they're going to scrummage against Tonga right away. If they scrummage adequately, I think is – I mean they don't need to scrummage super well, but they do oh, need Alex, to scrummage adequately. They just got uh, to stay there and win they the gotta, goddamn ball. Win the win the win the ball and get it out quickly. Uh, I I do like Robbie Shaw as a player. Uh, I I think he is extremely. I, in a way, it's you know if you're not going to have Petri, you're going to have somebody who you who's going to link up with a new fly half really well. I think Shaw will do that. I think they're going to work really hard to get that ball out to Hume and Wiles and Gwenya in space. Uh, Nguyenio was not used properly for the last couple of years uh, under under Eddie O'Sullivan, and I think that uh, we won't have seen the Heineken Cup star uh, for the Eagles, and I think we will. Well, I'll um, tell you how I tell you how a couple of things that's gonna how that's gonna work out is that they're not gonna force the ball across the field to those guys, but they are gonna because they're all three and are quite dangerous. They're going to put them in situations where there's inserts in one end. You know, they're inserting into the line. And there's also – so they're holding defenders and creating space out wide for the other two. Or they're spreading and they're trying to cut through. So they're really going to – those – they're always going to be a threat. The, the, the way the system works is that they're always going to be a threat as a trail runner on close to 10 or a wide runner. So they're going to use formations and they're going to use – they're going to use um, formations and setups to try to to try to confuse defenses as to who they need to to stay and 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 keep as a danger man. The good thing about having guys like Clever and guys like um, guys like Dahl, for that matter, guys like that front row. The front row creates offense because the front row generates offense. You, you're looking at and and a second row in Doyle and Stanfield who can generate reasonable offense as well. You're looking at guys who can – there's a lot of weapons out there. That's what Toby's good at. Toby's good at threatening the line and finding the weapon, threatening the line and finding the weapon. And then he's potent enough in attack to take the line himself and feed the ball. Where, so, so you're saying you're saying Toby Lestrange is potent? I'm saying Toby Lestrange is potent. I'm also he's at least not. I, I, I know. I, I, if I'm being potent, I'm looking potent. But uh, – the um, who's wearing a suit today? But uh, Pat, I mean, oh, so someone who oh, okay, let, let, know Toby. You okay. get, Pat acts like he doesn't know Toby from a hole in the wall. He took a five-hour trip with him, stayed in the room with him. No, for two I, nights. Toby's a Toby's a cool <laughs> guy. He's a funny kid. I like the guy for an entire weekend. He was he was in a sling and didn't throw a rugby ball that whole weekend either. So, uh, you know, he was pretty unassuming right. to me. But okay, uh, just. We're going to finish up this and we'll take a break and come back. But, you know, I didn't get to make my predictions. So I want to make one of the things is is look back at history. Uh, the USA hasn't has only played uh, Romania twice in the last 13 years. 1999, they lost 27-25 in the World Cup. And uh, 2005, I'm going off uh, memory right here. They beat them, uh, I think it was 28-22. Uh, they scrum very well. The forwards are very strong, but you because their forwards are strong, it's easy to get uh, forget that they actually can run as well. Uh, they're, they're playing at home. They're going to be very difficult to beat. I think they should beat Russia. They should never have been so close as the World Cup where it was 13-6. Uh, to six. Uh, And I think actually they're going to 
go in and they're going to, it's going to be a pretty high scoring game. I think it'll be a fun game. I think they'll win that Tonga. There's really, there's the, since 99 and 99, the USA played Tonga in San Francisco and beat them 30 to 10 and beat them. Well, uh, a, a year later, they lost badly to them 29, six. And, uh, last year, it was what forty four thirteen, a loss in the Churchill Cup. So I I don't think you can point to Tonga and say we should be win that game. I'd like to see them start to get back to this point where we're we're ta- we have that conversation. But but history does, tells us no. And the, and the one factor that I want to harp on in this, you know, goal kicking great, scrummaging great, all these things. The one factor is they got to catch the ball. They cannot lose the ball forward. They cannot drop it. They cannot lose it in contact because that means they're scrumming more, but it also means turnovers. And that's what lost them that game against Tonga. They got destroyed because they did not catch the ball. They have a nice camp working on this. Uh, They should beat Russia. And then they're going to have well over a week to turn around and concentrate on Tonga and concentrate on being able to play a real rugby game in a real test match situation, and have some time to get ready for it. I think they can get after it. I think they can win three. But I think right now, from history, last few years, unrealistic to say they've got to beat, they should beat Tonga. But I think you look at a should on Russia, a probable on Romania, but it's going, but understanding it's going to be hard. And then Tonga, in a way, that's where we'll see some real progress. I'm the optimistic one, finally. You are the optimistic one. And I, I will, we are going to be right. Don't, don't be right back right away. I yes, do. I yes. do want to get into one of the reasons that they had dropped the ball in the last thing against them. It wasn't as much emphasis on skill as they necessarily have with this group of coaches. So I, I think that's positive. But the other thing is, when there was a mistake made last set, is they just blew the whistle, killed the mistake, and so guys didn't play on through the mistake. What Mike kind of operates in practice is that if there's a mistake made, he kill the ball or use the ball for the turnover. So it, when you do knock on, and it's going to happen, it, it's not so much that, that it happens, it's that you kill it and you don't give them the second bite at the cherry. What I mean by that is if you could play the turnover and you screw up playing the turnover, you still get the scrum. But if you, if I knock on and I just kill the ball, you only get the scrum. You don't get that free shot. So they'll have that discipline that's put into that team. The team will have enough of those guys who kill the ball every time, and they'll work on that. So they won't give Tonga second cracks at the cherry. So maybe some of those some of those times where they were where they got beat by it, it's not going to happen quite as often. It's this. It'll be a tighter game. They're going to be within there with a puncher's chance. It's just going it, to be uh, difficult, though. Uh, for, no, that, that's right. And, and first of all, there's always the caveat that we are looking at a different coaching staff. And the other thing is I think most people right there listening to you are shaking their heads saying, don't we all coach this way? That when, That's the beauty of rugby is that you keep playing and you keep trying to fix that thing and you don't just say – Oh, the play didn't work, so we stop. It's not an incomplete pass. That's what's the great thing about rugby, and to hear that that uh, we weren't operating that way, um, that's distressing. We'll be right back on Rugga Matrix America. 
Hey everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Invitational. It's wrapped around, of course, the USA 7's International Tournament, and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level. Uh, You've got the CRC qualifier. You've got... uh, Women's, 15s and 7s, it's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s. And you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com, check on the LVI link, and see how to pre-register. Okay, so we're back on Rugged Matrix America. We're going to change topics just for a little bit. we got to talk about this fall thing. We've had some uh, plenty of club activity in uh, in the fall rugby but what we've also found is that a large portion of colleges that used to play even their league season are now playing sevens and the sevens the, the seventh season sort of goes in partially in the fall culminates in a national championship and then takes a break and then we go back and do the crc uh Check for uh, check for details on USA7s.com for the CRC information in the Philadelphia area next year. Still one of the most exciting uh, events on the rugby calendar, but it's not the national championship. The national championship is held in December at Texas A&M. So we've got this uh, this series of qualifiers, and and I and I think Pat, you've been paying a lot of attention to this. Um, I've been paying a lot of attention to this. Clearly, the colleges have a little bit better handle, a little bit better handle on what they're doing. Yeah, they do. And I think you're seeing not just the one-off qualifiers, but you're seeing different competitions or areas or conferences put together series. The ACRL had a series. Um, the Allied Rugby Conference down in Texas and Oklahoma had a series. We saw a New England series last uh, spring. We've seen... Um, Florida Circuit have a series. I think that you're starting to see a lot of teams get together and, and play a lot more sevens. And those teams that are playing more um, are typically doing better. And I think you'll find that it will bear out that when they get to a national championship, the ones that have been going to more tournaments and playing better competitions will do better. Um, I, we don't have a whole lot of history of that, but I think that it makes a lot of sense that that will bear out. And I think that colleges are starting to figure it out. And now what's starting to bug me and I know that there are going to be some coaches who listen to this that uh, disagree with me, but I would like to see more teams commit that semester to sevens. Uh, there's still some, whether it should be the spring that's sevens or fall that's sevens, there's still some bickering about that, and I think you might see one or two major competitions switch to the spring for their own reasons, um, but that semester that is your seven season, I'd really like to see some teams fully commit to it being their seven season. A lot of them are. There are still quite a few holdouts that um, want to play some 15s, quite a bit of 15s too. But um, I, I, in fact, in fact, what you're seeing—sorry uh, to interrupt yeah. there, Pat—but uh, what you're seeing is some teams are playing 15s and 7s on the same day. Uh, a lot of teams, I know, Air Force and Colorado did this together, and Colorado did it a couple of times. Is they they'll uh, they'll take like a, a freshman sophomore team. And then they'll take a 15s team of guys who are not playing sevens, and then they'll take a sevens team, and they'll go one place and they'll play another team 
like three sevens games, a fifteens game, and a developmental fifteens game. Yeah, it's complete. I mean, it, meaning that they're doing two things at once, and that's fine. And, and, and I get you. You want to keep your it's nuts. Your, it is it's bonkers. Like AIC last weekend sent their you know sevens team off to a qualifier, hoping to qualify for nationals, and then played a fifteens league game on the same day. They didn't do so hot in either competitions, but it was bold and ballsy at, at the very least. Um, but it, but I, I'm a believer in that. Your props, your forwards, especially your non-tied five guys, but I think everybody has, can learn from playing the game of sevens. Uh, you get so many more ball-carrying opportunities, fending opportunities, offloading opportunities, tackling opportunities, playing the game of sevens in one season. Um, I think you should even get some of your fatties out there, and it's a great way to get them to shave some pounds off too. So uh, I'm a big believer that if we're going to do this college seven things right, you just commit the, the whole semester to it. But that's just one man's opinion. And when when should it be? I think do do we go do we go through the fall? Uh, you know that uh, some people talking about why not just have the LVI be the national championship? They've we've already got a whole bunch of teams lining up to play in that LVI because the qualifier gets you uh, you you win that you get to go on t- television uh, on NBC. Uh, do you do it that way or do you look at uh, the fact that the CRC was the tournament that made this all happen. Nobody gave, uh, you know, anything. No, nobody gave a damn about uh, college sevens until the CRC showed up. Because it, and and don't tell me. And, and people say it's the Olympics. It wasn't the Olympics because the Olympics were in October 2009 is when it became an Olympic sport, and it was June of 2010 when the the CRC got started. So it took all that time for anybody to really start thinking about that. So. Is it that, or do do we just say, you know, early fall, or do we say late fall, and, and just pick a pick that spot and and I think the, then go 15s and then CRC after that. I think the big question is, what do you actually think is a realistic possibility for sevens for college sevens? Do we think college sevens getting on um, broadcast, whether it's local or whether it's regional or whether it's even national um, outside of the RC is a real possibility. Do we think it is? Because if we do, it's got to be in the spring. And I know that there have been reports from coaches on either side, and I half think that a coach who, um, you know, one, it lives in a fall country or a fall area, let's take the upper Midwest, they live in the upper Midwest just to support there, we want to play in the fall argument, they'll tell you, oh, no, we've had broadcasters and whatnot tell us that we can get on TV in the fall. Um, but uh, coming from me sifting through some of the, what I think are half truths or lies or non-research truths, um, uh, non-research truths. I like right. that one. The, uh, yeah. I'm coming up with some good ones today. Uh, I truly do believe, um, the people that tell me that spring is when it needs to be for television for it to be considered. And you, you work in that and then you work in the fact that the CRC is a thing to build up to. Um, I think in an ideal situation, it will be in the spring. But ultimately, nothing's going to decide whether it's in the spring unless it is television. Until we have television really interested in it and someone's willing to plop down and say, all right, you're on TV or money's really involved, then it's not going to change anything. We're going to do it whenever we're going to play our 15s whenever we want. And whenever we're not playing 15s, we'll play sevens. That's how it's going to work until there is a television deal involved. But I think that there are some people who are working very hard and back channels who are getting it on. I mean, Sean Duffy for the Keystone Rugby Conference, right? He's got 15s on television, right? But he's yep. there's five million people are seeing Millersville and Shippensburg or whoever the heck they put on there, right? 
So uh, some people are actually doing the work and some people are just talking about doing the work. Um, and I think that some of the people who are doing the work are going to start putting sevens on TV. And if it takes moving it to the spring to get it away from football to do it, they're going to do it. And so that's when we'll actually see something get changed. Commitment, uh, developing a team, becoming one heartbeat, you know, really just enjoying, loving, playing with each other. And I think that, that those are important components Mark to success in, in sevens and fifteens. And you're going to need to set aside time to be able to develop a team. And if you try to do both at the same time, you're giving short shrift to both. And, and possibly they are two different games. I think they are at the most elite level. They are two different games. But I think that for the rest of the of the whole world, the the Joe Bag of Donuts world, which most of us live in, um, you know, we, we all of us certainly do, and and our and our clubs and our and the people that we're involved with, outside of when you're doing your media stuff with the very elite sevens and very elite fifteens, that they just need time to be very separate and they need time to develop and come into fruition with each other. I don't necessarily think that sevens in the summer is necessarily awesome and is the best thing for it. I don't think that not most sevens tournaments aren't played in hundred degree heat with six games in a day. (laughs) Like they're played here. They're not preparing them to be international sevens players. So what's happening here isn't necessarily preparing our guys for anything. Let me, can I just add on to why it doesn't, while we're talking about college sevens, let me, the reason it doesn't make sense is I'm sitting here looking at a spreadsheet that we all have that is talking about what teams are going to be playing in December for a national championship what teams are going to be playing in Vegas for the right to play on TV in June? And they don't all add up, right? The teams are going to be playing in June don't add up to the teams that are going to be playing in February and don't add up to the teams that are going to be playing in December. We all know why the teams that are going to be predetermined and picked in June are there, right? A lot of the market reasons that we talk about, and I think you have to go with the greater good on that. But it seems bonkers to me that there are going to be teams that are worthy of being uh, at the national championships in December that simply aren't going to be there that will make the trip to Vegas for the right to play, uh, you know, on television. And I think that, I don't know, and I've said this before and I'll I'll keep saying it again. I don't know if how much of it is, is, uh, is ego or how much of it is doability or, uh, you know, whatever. But the fact that we don't have, I really do believe that the USA rugby's college sevens national championship should coincide with the OVI. It makes too much sense to me for it not to to work out in a lot of different ways. Well, you know, I I, I would say that the the college sevens championships was born out of a certain level of jealousy coming from some elements within USA Rugby's board that wanted something that was similar. And the thing was, rather than partner with an organization that had actually done something and achieved something, they chose to try and in in a way compete with it. And and in the end, 
well, the, the, the championship last year was as an event, um, you know, the people who were on the ground there did the best they could, but as an event, it was just another rugby tournament. Uh, but people are building some things. It's funny because the, you, you, we see a lot of these either qualifiers or even not even qualifiers. And sometimes those tournaments can be really great. And they do an awful lot of, uh, of the trappings around that, that, that make a tournament appealing, except that nobody shows up to watch them. Right. So getting people to come and, and watch them as an, as a, a, some kind of a spectator event, that's hard to do as well. Well, they're two different. They're two different goals, right? So let's yeah. say when Pat yeah. Cage running the ACI sevens or the ACRL sevens, his goal is to make it look as professional as possible, to get the sponsorships to make the bottom line look as good as possible. We're going to put it in a sweet venue, get a beautiful trophy. We're going to do the you know the team banquets. We're going to make it all look as snazzy as possible. We're going to have banners up, this, that, the other. That's one man doing that. But then who on the other end is trying to get the butts in the seats to? acknowledge what it really is so when we're talking about non-professional entities like we are it's really hard to do the marketing end of it but usa rugby oh, sure. is a professional entity they should be able to work some of and, that marketing and it's, well no and, and it's still hard for them right because you know usa sevens llc is a professional entity that spends all its time getting people to show up for two events plus the lvi so I mean, it, it it can be a huge amount of work. the The issue is that there you should be looking at the thing that has been has started, has jump started all, and been successful, and build something from that. And that's not what's happened. And I think in the end that's made it very difficult. And in the end, it's made it difficult on the teams. You you know you talk to there's, some teams have figured it out, right? Some 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 teams, uh, you know, Central Washington. Central Washington plays sevens in the fall. That's all they do. They've got it concentrated. They play sevens in the fall, and then they play fifteens in the spring. And if they were able to get to the LVI, well, I mean, sorry, able to get to the CRC, they'd go and do that. That'd be fine. But some other teams, as as I said, are struggling. What do we do? Do I we train sevens? Do we introduce our freshmen to the fifteens? We're we're all struggling with this, and that's partly due to the fact that the USA USA Rugby came in and made a championship in December. Well, I, I will for two things. They made it. They may they help make it more difficult. For two things. I think a lot of us. Hold, yes, to some degree. I do think that they have driven up more sevens. There are some people who play sevens to get to, to Texas because I know that getting to Philadelphia is a, a much more loftier and less attainable goal, right? So there are definitely people that play sevens to get to College Station in December, um, which College Station in December is absolutely beautiful and the weather's never terrible and the drive from Houston College Station is great. So I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be there in December. That's all sarcasm, by the way. Um, but I detected that just yes, in case, I just barely, just in barely. Case I didn't project it well enough. Um, but the other thing is, and I'll put this out as a disclaimer is because obviously Alex and I work for USA sevens, you know, brother company, child, you know, parent company. There's that connection, right? Uh, it's not that, um, USA sevens can do no wrong or that we always agree with USA sevens because I, me and Alex have had plenty of private conversations that, you know, there are certain teams that we think should be involved that aren't involved in this, that, and the other. But what they're doing as a whole is just obviously really, really great for the game. But that, that, that's not to say that they're not flawless. Because, you know, it was up to me. Kutztown would have been playing in that tournament two years ago. 
Oh. Right, and we we printed stuff on this, so that, that that's fine. All right, so so the the collegiate sevens season as it's been going is imperfect, and and it's it's struggle. What have we seen from this season? I'll tell you what I've seen. First of all, uh, the emergence of Cal as a team that actually that that can win a tournament, and they won the pack the Pac twelve uh, this past weekend. Uh, Life that no surprise there. Uh, the emergence of Central Washington as a consistent winner as well. The emergence of Air Force as a team that wins sevens tournaments. And um, what else are you seeing? What, what what are the teams that perhaps we should really pay attention to um, that are either in the rankings or qualified for nationals or haven't, and maybe will some other day. Um, Texas A&M. I mean, they've played in three tournaments and won all three of them, beating some pretty good teams. Um, Colorado State, Oklahoma, Texas, um, Tennessee, Georgia, you know, all the teams in the SEC. Um, I think Texas A&M is a definite um, team to watch out for. Obviously, they're playing at home uh, when they go to the college nationals. And not that I root for teams over the other, but if A&M were to go win college sevens nationals down in and College Station, and then decide they wanted to make the trip to Vegas and make a run to get on TV, I think it would be pretty sweet to see the Aggies on television because of the way that they've committed themselves to sevens. Um, and they've got some pretty darn good players in Connor Mills and Brian Gian and and a whole host of other guys whose names we don't know as well. But um, they're definitely a good team to watch. Uh, I think Arkansas State is really good. Um, and what do they do? They keep finishing second to life is all. I mean – but they've got some exciting players and a guy who I have been talking about forever. Um, Matt Huckabee, I, I, I said, you got, how's he looking this year? Because if I keep talking about this guy, I'm going to look pretty stupid if he never actually gets on the field and that's Dylan carry on. And um, yep. he's a fantastic player. He's just been one broken ankle after another and injuries have been plaguing him. Um, but get that kid out on the field. He's an X factor. Um, for anybody, and that's men's club sevens down to college sevens. I think they're going to be really good, um, though they haven't had a, a very loud um, spring season. I think Kutztown is probably – it's not hard to piss those guys off because they always seem to be pissed off anyways, but the way that they did it, you know, that, how they did it Halloween sevens, I don't think it's going to sit well with them. And they've got maybe the best sevens player in the country in Tim Acker, um, and that was his first tournament back. So there's no doubt he had some rust to knock off. So I think they're going to be really dangerous. And I still really like Davenport because if Tim Acker is not the best sevens player in the country, it's J.P. Eloff, um, and he's fantastic. And they've got a bunch of young guys that they're working in. And the, probably I've talked a lot about Peter Dahl since we've been doing this thing about how great he is and how he should be considered more as an eagle. And finally he's gotten back. Um, but if there's a Peter Dahl at the college level that is probably less heralded than he needs to be, it's Ryan Hargraves because that guy, I don't think he's an eagle because he's about five foot eight, but he is one of the toughest, hardest, high motor, fun guys I've ever seen to watch play. He is a rugby player, and he is uh, anybody would be happy to have him on his team. And he is a stud at sevens, so I think Davenport's pretty darn good too. Uh, Bruce, you have any uh, college sevens teams that uh, are noodling around your head? Well, it was kind of interesting how Kutztown handled the Halloween sevens. They they. They, they were in a semifinal against themselves and then decided they didn't want to do that and allowed Penn State to get into that semifinal against Kutztown and instead of playing Kutztown. And then Penn State winds up beating them and then beating Delaware. 
and and then so Penn State wouldn't have been anywhere, and then winds up winning the tournament. And I, and I found that out from Chris Matina from from uh, Delaware. He had he had he had gotten a concussion. Jimmy Kowalski got hurt, and uh, Steve Sanchez got hurt. So I just and I said, well, that was stupid. You don't give a good team a second bite at the cherry. Uh, and hey, Penn State has enough talented players that they they were able to they were able to take advantage of that. Uh, in terms of sevens, I think that I, I I'd spoken to Alex about. It. I don't know if I spoke to you about it, Pat. Was you know I had the idea of possibly having the USA Championship at the LVI, although you know obviously it's maybe not ideal for certain teams to be fully prepared for it, but that's just, that's just the reality of life. But if there just has to be a time that's dedicated to when it's going to be. And in college, it can't be the summer. Is it, is it the spring to say leading up into the CRC could be, is it the fall? It could, it not, it's not a matter of like actually, when it is, but there has to be a decision made as to when it will be. And I think the way it's being operated now, by having a hybrid of things happening, the preparation is improper for both sevens and fifteens. Is this Bruce I, calling for more government intervention? No, I'm I'm actually <laughs> I would actually call for I would actually call for freedom to let the the colleges decide when that time frame would be. Um, but I, you know, I don't know how they want to go about decide. Like a national championship is something that, you know, it's a bunch of people really just getting together, deciding, well, we're going to play into a tournament and we're going to call this the national championship. Like That's the like CRC two could dogs be the, decide who gets the bacon strip. It's not. I mean, it's too contentious to let them decide. They can't do it um, on their own. I, I'm, look, the fact is, pick a freaking time. Say, this is going to be sevens, and this is when we're going to do it, and this is going to be fifteens, and this is when we're going to do it. And I think that that's very similar. Like, this whole amorphous club, sevens, fifteen, and this is, you know, even the way that they're, they want to do it in men and the way they want to do it in college is nonsense not going to make the national teams any better. And certainly, I mean, you see the fruition of that crap has showed up at the ARC and, you know, and, and, and part of how sevens is run is showing up in fruition is to how we're playing sevens, which isn't that good. Pick a time to play and then play. Sounds like good advice to me. And that's going to do it for us on this edition, 101st edition of Rugged Matrix America. For Pat Clifton and for Bruce McLean, this is Alex Goff at RugbyMag.com reminding you, you can get the show on iTunes. Go to the iTunes store. You can download it from RugbyMag.com. Check out the rest of RugbyMag.com. Check out RugbyMatrix.com for the international shows as well as Rugged Matrix America. And thanks again to our sponsors, USA Sevens and the LVI, Hooker Wines, the Rugby Site, and Rugby Imports. And thanks to you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. <laughs> <laughs>